Hub sessions took place at the 2020 Airport Experience Conference in Denver. We share them with you now, courtesy of Plaza Premium Group, the Hub Session sponsor. This Hub Session features a conversation with Ross Kenigs, R&D Brewer for New Belgium Brewery. Welcome to the last uh, in the series of our Airport Experience Hub Sessions sponsored by Plaza Premium Group. We This next session is titled The Craft of Perpetual Creation and Reinvention. I think our next guest is going to like the fact that I had craft yes, work in there. Very much so. Considering what we're going to be talking yeah. about today. Uh, to my right is Ross Koenigs. Koenigs, right? Yes, Koenigs. Ross Koenigs, he's a pilot brewer, research and development for New Belgium Brewery. Before we get into that, yeah. can you just describe what exactly is a, a pilot brewer? Oh, a pilot brewer. Yeah, uh, I go by many names, yes. uh, but you know, a pilot brewer really. Uh, so what we try and do is we try and be on the forefront of anything new, creative, innovative in the beer business. So uh, I am a brewer by training, uh, but I work very cross-functionally. I work with our marketing folks. I work with our sales folks. I work with our finance folks. I work with our production teams. I, I, I have the privilege. I get to touch a lot of different pieces of the business. Uh, but yeah, really, everything's focused around how do we do some things new, innovatively, and uh, bring new products to market. Sure, and and this is what's interesting to me. Um, but before we get into all that, let's yeah. let's talk about your background a little yeah, bit. You know what brought yeah. you here? Obviously, working for New Belgium. Yeah. Uh, so I've been with New Belgium for about ten years. Uh, I've been in the beer business for about seventeen. Uh, I don't necessarily look it, uh, but <laughs> yeah, I've been. I've known. I've wanted to work in beer. I've known I've wanted to be a brewer since I was a very, very young man. So, were you old um, enough to at least consume it when you were into? No, no. I no. I started brewing beer. I started working in the beer business uh, from Wisconsin originally, okay. uh, where you don't necessarily have to be of age to work in the business. Which Just is, don't get caught. It, it's kind of a fun cultural quirk there, but. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I've sold beer, I've marketed beer, I've brewed beer, I've done a lot of different things in the business. But uh, my background, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in chemistry, and then I uh, went to the Master Brewers program over at the University of California at Davis uh, for some professional education. And then I've been brewing beer professionally for about 12 out of the 17 years. Uh, I've been in my current role for about seven years or so now. Uh, started there just, you know, working as a uh, production brewer and uh, shift lead over there uh, in the production teams before I did that. So uh, you touched on it a little earlier, like among your responsibilities, you touch upon many different yeah, departments. Yeah. So you're kind of like gathering all that together in some way. When you come up with product X, mm -hmm. it has to work uh, at least be touched by each of those. Absolutely. Uh, you know, mostly when people think about how do you launch a new product or launch a new innovation, uh, you mostly just see the thing on the shelf. Uh, you experience it, either pick up a six pack in the liquor store or go to a bar or something like that. But uh, it's a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes. Uh, you know, everything from, you know, starting in concept ideation, going all the way through the actual marketing plan and market execution. Uh, there's tremendous amount of roles that uh, touch that process. And so uh, I'm one of the main conduits to which all that information kind of flows. And then I'm ultimately, hopefully responsible for how the product, uh, you know, shows up and is in the world. No, no, certainly. So uh, among many things, why I wanted to have you here, aside from obviously being local yeah. and partnering with um, a great operator uh, here, I believe in Denver airport, right? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, 
it's just the creative aspect of it. And yeah. you and I were speaking before we started here. Uh, you, I was telling you how the airport world is changing, at least on the yeah. concession side. Mm -hmm. And you've noticed that as well. And I think it starts with the mindset from the operator to the airport, et cetera, that we need to be a lot more, I guess, uh, cognizant of our sense of place and yeah. et cetera. So yeah. what drew me to you reading a little bit about your background is that it's, it's you and then obviously a team of folks, mm -hmm. right? And you're constantly having to make sure that you or I'm sorry, New Belgium and its products are always relevant and on trend. You brought some nice little samples as well. We'll definitely test them out in a second. But I really want to focus again about the innovation and creativity part. Yeah. How do you keep, get your team to be creative and innovative unless you just have a really innovative and creative team? Well, it's, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, it, first of all, really the main, for me, in my, in my opinion, I think, one of the main indicators of whether or not an organization, a team is going to be creative is how well you foster that creativity as a team. Yes. Um, yeah. And so uh, really we've been very blessed. It's very special. Uh, New Belgium Brewing Company has always been a very innovative place and it's actually baked into our core values and beliefs. And, uh, I think most organizations, to some degree or another, you know, bake in some kind of mission statement or some kind of value yeah. statement of what they try and do. Uh, but it really takes a, you know, very intentional mindset uh, to actually live those out. And uh, New Belgium has always been one of those organizations that has really sought to foster, um, you know, reimagine, re reinvent those core values and beliefs. And really, one of the big things that's just baked right in is uh, just continual process innovation and improvement. Uh, so I think uh, when we look for candidates that we hire, how we develop people, I think you know having creativity and innovation as a mindset is very top of mind. And I think we're, a lot of times we're evaluated on what uh, new and fresh ideas we're really bringing to the business and how well do we reimagine uh, not only our day-to-day -day roles, but then also all the other different places that we touch within the organization. And so I think it, getting to your question around creativity, um, creativity can be nurtured, um, mm -hmm. but I think it's very hard to teach it. Of course. Uh, so I think we... Um, you know, I think by nature of our organization, uh, we, you know, we attract a lot of creative people. Uh, you know, it's very vibrant and just, you know, uh, young and young of mind and spirit, not necessarily of age. Uh, but, you know, it's just a very forward thinking organization. And so I think it attracts a lot of creative people and then gives them a space and a platform to express that creativity and see how that goes. So when you're building a team, and I think you can apply this almost anywhere, I always look at it as, um, and maybe you tell me if you disagree, I weight either equally or more passion to skill. Like, if you, oh, I, again, yeah. you can teach the skill. Yeah. I can't teach passion. I think yeah. that's back to the creative part, right? Yeah. So yeah. Would you have that same kind of like mindset as well that you Absolutely. can weight the passion for? beer or for the or for your job yeah uh you know amongst a lot of our teams uh it i imagine this is being recorded so i probably shouldn't curse on it but no uh, let's not curse i mean yeah. I, I, I don't um, break my streak by the way because it's gonna go on my podcast uh so uh it, we we have a saying amongst a lot of our teams that uh, you know we have a long-standing uh just culture of ownership mentality that uh in you know we have a um a, little phrase that we like to say a lot it's own your Bleep. blank 
Uh, and so I, I think within that, yeah, it, it, I would agree with you. I, I think more so you need, you need passion more than skill. Uh, mm-hmm. Skill can be taught, but uh, just getting people to really be focused and energized and you know, just really owning everything that they do day to day, um, you know, just fosters that extra level of creativity and just that extra level of success that ultimately you're going to see. You have to have people that are engaged. You have to have people that care. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to get, you're just going to get people that kind of show up and, um, you know, give it half their best effort. Uh, I, I, it's obvious I'm not an aficionado of beer. I mean, I like some, yeah. et cetera, but I know reading upon it, it's, I think we discussed this earlier, you know, it's been made one way for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there was a point, I think maybe in the early 1900s where things changed a little bit, maybe different ingredients, et cetera. But to me, as a layperson, it seems like in the last five years, seven years maybe, where actually maybe longer than that, where it really became a lot more creative. And, and you you know, know, so I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like in relation to your team, Mm -hmm and how it's constructed, that uh, you know you got folks that maybe came in at the time when it got to be creative, or were they there prior to, and then got to see how you know they can actually take something and iterate it uh, into a, to a degree? Well, I would agree, I would agree with the statement. I think on the timeline, uh, you know, really the creativity has manifested a couple of different ways, really over the last 30 or 40 years. Sure. Uh, that you know, the, the craft beer revolution was set off in, what, 1967 when Fritz Maytag brought, bought the Anchor Steam Brewery in San okay. Francisco. Um, you know, granted, it took a long time to kind of reach a critical mass. And certainly over the last five to seven years, I think you've seen a dramatic explosion of different ingredients, different styles, different types of beer. Uh, and so I would say, you know, really that creativity, I think, originally manifested, especially over here in the United States, it started first as kind of this period of discovery. There were all of these rich brewing traditions around the world in which we, um, in which uh, we were almost kind of rediscovering our past uh, and, you know, really just trying to reconnect that, you know, most beer in America before then was really had been known as just kind of uh, mostly just lager beer. It was fairly, you know, fairly commoditized. Um, You know, there are a couple of innovations around it, but for the most part, it tasted relatively similarly. And so I think that first wave of innovation and creativity that you saw was really, there's all these other rich brewing traditions around the world. A lot of them uh, were dying out. Uh, You know, you think about our roots as New Belgium, uh, you know, we were founded back in 1991. Uh, the brewery was originally inspired by a bike trip taken by our founder in Belgium in 1988 and 89, mm-hmm. where uh, he was discovering all of these different beer styles that had been around, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But for the most part, they were dying out. You know, the the large lager trend uh, was certainly proliferating in, the, in Europe as well as it was in the United States. And so, um, you know, he took that and, you know, really felt like he was onto something. And so um, this is a very long-winded way of saying it, I think really what you're seeing in the last five to seven years, we've kind of come out of this period of rediscovering classic styles. And now the creativity and the imagination has really started to then uh, become like, well, now we have a mastery of the basics and we've reconnected to our roots. Now where do we go from here? 
And so, so you're I saying think, rediscovering the vintage aspect of things and then propelling exactly so i think what what you're seeing a lot of is really kind of this hybridization effect that uh, you're taking techniques from very classic styles of beers but then uh, mashing them up either with other beer styles other ingredients uh, other culinary traditions certainly you know the things it's a big debate in uh, the craft beer community around uh, pastry stout like <laughs> beers that are uh, aged in bourbon barrels and literally i mean they taste mm. like a liquefied chocolate truffle maybe with coconut or vanilla or something like that right. that you know at a certain point it's like well does it even taste like beer anymore it, it almost tastes like a confection yeah, sure. uh, but you know, i think that's a very uh natural and interesting progression of that that as you're you know you you founded an industry that's built on discovery and iteration and you know respect for the ingredient it's only natural to continue to try and push the bounds on that now not, you don't. You do not necessarily have to be the lead or mm -hmm. the first to discover. You know, first no. first to market in anything. But there's always going to be one that almost leads the pack and kind of not gets everyone to follow, but inspires everyone to. Wow, yeah. didn't know you could do that. Maybe I can do this. Yeah. Right, and kind of pivot and, and shift. So, uh, just talk about just how exciting that must be. Then, if someone created the the beer you're describing now and saying, Wow, that maybe I can make something that tastes like cheesecake or or maybe I can delve into a different ingredients because again, we don't have to work within a well-defined path, yeah. right? It's just a loose yeah. framework. The basics are the, the brewing of beer. It's yeah. up to the creativity and the uh, maker. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think the other piece that, uh, especially with New Belgium, that makes us uh, somewhat unique, but certainly um, you know, not, uh, not solitary in that uniqueness. Uh, it, you know, I think we, when we're thinking about whether or not we should innovate on something or develop something, uh, really one of the fundamental questions we ask ourselves is, does this make sense for who we are? Because uh, you know, there's a lot of innovations you can go out and chase. Uh, there's a lot of things that people are doing right now, but is it actually authentic to who we are as brewers, uh, as creative professionals, uh, as you know, just people out in the world, you know? They're, so when you say, does this make sense to who we are, meaning your mission statement or credo? Absolutely, absolutely. Words, okay. Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of our, and you know, we, we can certainly talk about some of the innovations exactly. that we have here, but um, you know, I think one of the big things is, um, you know, some of our big foundational principles. Um, you know, does it, you know, more so than anything, uh, does it foster some kind of betterment within the world? Uh, I think especially we're highly, highly cognizant, especially in, um, you know, purchasing of raw materials, things like that. You know, do, was this fruit picked by, you know, child laborers or something like that? Okay. You know, having, having good criteria just from there. Um, you know, we're a highly environmentally conscious organization, so we certainly don't want to source materials or develop products that are, you know, environmentally destructive or at least, you know, are not incrementally environmentally destructive. I think there's a whole debate you can get down in that rabbit hole. But, um, and then, you know, I think it's also, uh, you know, we come from a tradition of uh, Belgian brewers. Uh, we come from a tradition of, you know, just how we've come to, how we've come to be into the world. And so I think not every opportunity is as relevant to us when developing products uh, as some of the other ones. So, um, you know, maybe a great example right here. Uh, sure. We have a new beer that's just about to come out. Uh, it's a beer called the Purist. So um, 
This is an organic, 95 calorie, three gram carb, oh. light lager beer, uh, which you would normally say like, hey, you're a craft brewery. That doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, but I think really where, uh, you know, taking from that positioning where it's just like, you know, most of that uh, market is dominated by Michelob Ultra, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the Coronas of the world, more of the light lagers of the world. Uh, but uh, we wanted to really pull in uh, this messaging around uh, the tagline is the cleanest beer on earth. Or you can see underneath the can, it says purist, it says clean lager. So what does clean mean? Uh, aside from just like an overall organoleptic sort of thing, you know, mm -hmm. it's very crisp and clean and crushable and everything like that. So it reinforces it on that level. Uh, but as you start to dig into the actual marketing, uh, not only is it organic, uh, but we're Which also... Aligns with some of your missions. Certainly. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, we're also sourcing from a very specific type of two-row barley called winter barley. Uh, so barley crops come, it's, uh, there's a summer barley crop and a winter barley crop. Uh, the winter barley is generally sown in to prevent crop erosion. So uh, it's generally sown late in the fall, establishes basically uh, it's more or less cover crop that a lot of farmers use, one, to generate more revenue and income, uh, but then also when you're in either late fall, winter, early spring, uh, you're preventing soil erosion and actually keeping carbon dioxide fixed into the soil as opposed to... Uh, having something, having just kind of empty open top soil. So uh, really looking at that, so, you know, we want to, so just by taking that, you know, little bit of incremental environmental sustainability standpoint, we feel like we have something that all of a sudden wouldn't necessarily feel like a good fit, all of a sudden feels very right at home with us at New Belgium from our values and our ethos. So that's what I was going to get to. I mean, this is kind of like... Um... I guess falling in line with a trend, Michelob yeah. Ultra, et cetera. But it also is you put in you've done enough to kind of put your own spin on it to make it your own. Absolutely. And that's kind of like falling in line with the mission. So something like this kind of um, well, prior to creating this, I guess, when you saw that trend, was the thought should we trace should we kind of chase the the trend and as well and make it our own, or should we just kind of like did it inspire something else that led to this? Well, I think it's it, you know, we it, like every other organization, uh, you know, we look at Nielsen data, we look at all the reporting tools that we have. So, yeah, of course, uh, this type of beer is, a, you know, it's something I think it's like 25 or 30 million barrels of beer in this country. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, a lot of volume. And really, it's uh, really being played in, a, in that space. There's maybe five, maybe 10 major players. And really, you can make an argument that Michelob Ultra is probably the only truly relevant player in that yeah. space. So I, I think we look at, you know, we see the numbers, we see the opportunities, so we pay attention to that. But I think as we, you know, get on, we can, you know, we start to kind of lay out like, okay, if we wanted to do that, um, it needs to be true to who we are. And so I think there's a lot of examples of where we've gotten up, we see the opportunity, we see a trend just completely taking off and, you know, we've kind of held back from that. We really haven't. We've decided for one reason or another, and certainly we can talk about that if you like. So you're but, marrying uh, the business case with the artisanal case. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think there's, you know, certainly there's pieces of very organic creativity and innovation uh, that, you know, things that, you know, we try and leverage off of our own unique experience and our unique skill sets. Um, 
perfect example. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, we made a beer a couple of years ago called the Hamperer, uh, which was the first, uh, at least in the United States, uh, the first cannabis or hemp flavored beer in the U.S., especially one to achieve national distribution. Uh, and so there were a lot of interesting stories that kind of came out of that mm -hmm. beer that, you know, certainly it's something very new, very unique, um, highly polarizing too. come to come to find that uh, some people really like that flavor. Some people can't stand it. So uh, I think it was it was one of those that we certainly saw there was no one playing in the space. There might have been good reason why no one was playing in the space, uh, but we decided to take a crack at it anyway. And so uh, I think, um, you know, it's something that we're continuing to evolve and innovate on. And, you know, I think there's, you know, certainly uh, there's been a number of people that have kind of come in behind us. So I think that certainly says that we were on to something. Uh, but, you know, kind of in that, you know, cycle phase of innovation, sometimes you're way too early where, you know, you can have an idea that's, um, you know, was five, ten years too early until it actually sure. decides to take off. And, you know, sometimes you get credit for it, sometimes you don't. But you so. can revisit that in oh, some ways, right? Of course, of course. You know, launched just five years ago, didn't really do well, and then maybe something struck your fancy. And, Absolutely. You know. uh, it, though it is interesting, especially when you, when you innovate a lot, uh, you have a beer like that. It, it's interesting how that institutional memory starts to come back around. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we already tried that. That didn't work out. Why should we do that again? Um, and so it, it keeps you sharp, you know, things evolve, things change. Uh, and so, you know, we need to be able to provide uh, good data. But then I think ultimately at the end, and at the end of the day, too, we just need to be able to tell a good story about it. Oh, sure. And, you know, if people can tell whether or not you're passionate about something. And so, you know, that passion reads through everything that you do and people will respond to that. So uh, my next question for you really is about mindset and the mindsets that run opposition in opposition to creativity in some ways. Again, you might not have this type of team. Your team might just be naturally creative and inquisitive and curious, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I'm sure there are times where uh, there is, no, don't. Now, I'm not talking <laughs> about like going against your core values, yeah, but like yeah. if you want to make a bacon flour flavored beer, which is probably possible, right. or something that's just completely out of the norm, you know, is it a pretty democratic uh, kind of process or is, is it just kind of like, wow. nah, we're not doing it? Yeah, it, it's very democratic. And you, and you, have to get, uh, you have to get everyone all know, together at once. Absolutely, time. absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we have a uh, business process council that, you know, generally mm -hmm. uh, oversees a lot of the decision making that happens in, you know, in the brewery. So, uh, it, it, you know, while I think, you know, it's it maybe peeking a little too far behind the curtain, but you know, there's a lot of very contentious debates around uh, when you want to launch something, and especially when it requires extra resources, pulls away from focus or attention on other things that may be growing. Um, you know, it's, it's trying to juggle a lot of competing interests and trying to keep everyone as happy as engaged, possible. Yeah. And engaged, yeah. With knowing that doing one thing is probably going to mean uh, you know, upsetting or pulling someone's attention away from something else. And, yeah, because you know, it's, it's a hard balance. No, it really of course. Is. They, they, uh, there's a saying that someone once told me that the greatest opponent to change is experience. Yeah. And I, I assume then there are probably purists in any, you know, uh, wine, beer, whatever. Of course. Uh, and I'm sure maybe there are some on your team. And I, then I guess that's the one I'm trying to figure out yeah. is like there's always that one person, right? Right. Nah, but and it's like you got to convince them or they got to convince you. Well, and sometimes uh, that person is me. 
sure. uh, to be honest with you. They, <laughs> you know, I, I think having a, you know, having humility and then also like not, it, it's important to say yes to things. Sure. Um, but it, you shouldn't say yes to the detriment of not being critical. And so, uh, you know, having good models and good means to stress test ideas and to, um, you know, think very broadly about why you're making the decisions that you are and also understand what are, in making that decision, what are the other things that are potentially going to fall by the wayside. And a lot of times it's still worth it. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, having a very coherent vision about why you are continuing to develop things, why you're continuing to, uh, especially as you've achieved a relative level of success, uh, not to just rest on those laurels, why it's important to continue to constantly reimagine and constantly reinvent the way that you do things uh, is really important for any organization. And so uh, it, I think, you know, on our best of days, even though, we, you know, I Normally, I'm on the pro side of whatever we're innovating or what we're doing, uh, but sometimes I'm on the con. Uh, and I think that's really healthy within an organization. I think having that good, rigorous, robust debate about uh, what truly is the vision and how we're stitching all the different pieces together that, you know, knowing that we're in a business environment, it's all of us. It's not just as brewers, it's you know, restaurateurs and bar sure. owners and people that make sneakers, whoever, uh, it, you know, we are, we are innovating at such a rapid pace and information travels at such a rapid pace that, um, you know, your ability to just kind of sit back and like, oh, well, I have a very hot product right now. I don't really need to do anything with that. Um, you know, it, you're just not rewarded for that passive mindset anymore. And no, you know, certainly no. you're, it, there's, more than enough people that are going to come in and want to outcompete you. So you need to you need to stay fresh. You need to stay um, you know engaged in you know that uh, that culture that made you hungry and made you want to really you know push towards that next big thing. And you know once you once you get there, like celebrate it. You know, but then also get back to work. So I'm going to give you. I'm going to ask you a, a like a chicken and egg yeah. type of question, right? So what's driving you more, you, uh, you meaning New Belgium? Yeah. The creativity or the taste of the consumer? Um, is it neck and neck? Is it, you know, one outpacing the other? I would say, I would say in this day and age, um, you know, we are at a size and scope. I, we are far more, I think, I think we have broken more towards what the consumer wants versus what we personally want. Uh, you but know, there's still it needs a ratio, to be a, right? Yeah, there's it needs still, to be a balance, and I don't yeah. think it's horribly askew. I think it's probably more like a 45-55 sort of thing, or a 55 consumer-driven, 45 our own personal-driven. Uh, but I think we also like to think that our consumers are relatively aligned to who we are. Uh, you know, we do a very good job at messaging and communicating why we're doing the things that we are, that I think even when we do something that's something outside of the norm of what people would expect out of us, uh, I think we've developed enough of a rapport with our consumers that they're willing to give us a chance and they're willing to listen to us and try and understand what our perspective is and what we're trying to accomplish. And, and so I think as you, you know, as you kind of gain uh, more notoriety, especially amongst your consumer base, um, you need to make sure that you're listening to their desires and what they want and, 
you know, understand what their needs are that, you know, you, you don't have the luxury anymore of being, you know, a scrappy young upstart that, you know, this is my... Everyone grows up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, if you lose too much of that, all of a sudden you just become this soulless, faceless brand <laughs> uh, that nobody wants to engage with. You, uh, you can, s- who, who are you thinking about in particular? Oh, I'm not going to name hey, we names. Shouldn't name names. Uh... <laughs> we shouldn't get too particular about that. <laughs> we should try, definitely, yes. This Hub Session is sponsored by Plaza Premium Group. Plaza Premium Group is the pioneer and industry leader in providing premium airport hospitality services, such as lounges, hotels, meet and greet services, and dining in over 160 locations in 45 international airports across the world. The goal? Make travel better. Plaza Premium Lounge is an independent lounge that gives travelers a haven away from the hustle and bustle of the airport. Travelers experience comfortable seating, enticing food and beverage, private resting suites, VIP rooms, Wi-Fi, and more. Don't your travelers deserve a home away from home? Sure they do. For more information on how to bring a Plaza Premium Lounge to your airport, visit plazapremiumgroup.com. Plaza Premium Group. We make travel better. Um, my next question really is almost uh, two things. You know, I want you to kind of share uh, a memorable moment when you created something that really pivoted uh, the company in a different direction. It doesn't have to be so drastic. Yeah. Right? And, and I, guess, I guess the second part of that, maybe it's related, uh, is a moment of learning. I always love asking that of people who are creative. You know, something that taught you something that you didn't know about yourself or about the industry, the craft, etc. Yeah. So first talk about the, something uh, creating a product. It could be one of these things that we created that you brought along here. So feel free to talk about maybe Certainly. this was a moment of learning as well. You know, the so when I'm holding my hand... Uh, this yeah, we're, we're of, not a visual medium, by the yeah, way. Right. Even though the audience can see it. Uh, I'm holding my hand a uh, can of mural, which is one of our... Uh, relatively new, uh, we call it an Agua Fresca Cerveza. So this actually started as, uh, it's a really interesting story. Uh, we started, um, you know, we're looking kind of out into, uh, this would have been around 2015 at the time. Uh, we were looking, we knew that the World Cup was coming out. And uh, we wanted to just make kind of like a fun international collaboration of a bunch of international breweries. The the idea was that we would all collaborate on one singular beer idea. And then each one of us, so it was us, a Mexican brewery, an English brewery, a South African brewery, a Brazilian brewery, a Japanese brewery, and an Australian brewery. Um, And so... Uh, the idea was that we would all co-develop this brand together, this beer together. We would all have rights to brew it in our own thing, and we would all co-brand it together. And so we would have this big, wonderful launch party, celebrate the World Cup, and just have like a really fun, just kind of cool little one-off experience. Uh, you know, something that only comes around every four years. Um, then the Americans didn't qualify for the World Cup. So uh, we were like, great, we have this idea and no one cares. Um, And so we ended up, we still ended up brewing the beer, but we, you know, we massively scaled down uh, what we were trying to do. And, you know, for the most part, we just kind of developed the beer. We mostly sold it in half barrels of soccer pubs. And it was just kind of this fun, cool little thing. And it was fine. Uh, But 
the really nice part about that was uh, really, it got us acquainted uh, with this brewery in Mexico City called Primus. Uh, and so very cool, uh, small upstart. Uh, they've grown They've grown up a lot since then. Uh, and so we had really been looking for an opportunity uh, to, you know, we just really enjoyed the collaboration and the experience with them so much. We were like, well, hey, uh, what if we came together and collaborated again? And so uh, a couple of us went down to Mexico City and we were just like, well, we want some inspiration. So uh, really the the big inspiration for the spear was, uh, you know, all rolling around going to a bunch of taquerias and you know if you've been to mexico city or really any taqueria you know there's always just these big jugs of aqua fresca sitting around and you know all different uh flavors and styles and colors and it was just so like vibrant and cool and interesting that uh we really kind of took that back it was just like well how do we how do we take that and like give it kind of a beer spin on it uh this was even before like really the hard seltzer thing kind of took off yeah. like we were kind of nipping around at an idea that you know we found out later was actually probably a much bigger idea uh but you know it's just something that happened very organically around um you know just trying to you know take that like granular moment of inspiration and then you know really blow it up into this much bigger thing uh, and so you asked about learnings and, yeah. uh, you know, developing brands and developing new beers and stuff like that. Um, man, this one has been a really, and so I think like. This provided a great moment of learning for you. It did. Um, you know, this one in particular, it, it, we took, so taking from that original idea, like us sitting in taqueria, drinking agua fresca and just like, may you know, I, being, oh, please. May I please? Yeah, please. absolutely. Um, and, you know, wanting to bring that flavor back and wanting to bring that to just like this very light, refreshing, fruity beer. Um, so that one has watermelon, lime, uh, hibiscus and agave, uh, which actually watermelon and lime are uh, pretty, you know, normal combination of frescas uh, down in Mexico. Um, but when we got there, you know, when we actually went to launch the product, uh, the big learning is that like, even though we had this really interesting engaging experience like trying to communicate that to people and trying to get people to respond to it is very very challenging especially when it's in so this market. in this market yeah and so um you know i think the big learning is we were you know trying to roll it out um you know for the longest time we were just like this beer only belongs in the southwest at taquerias or um you know, Latin American or Mexican inspired restaurants. Uh, and generally we, we even had a bit of a joke that like we need, it needs to be in restaurants that serve table side guacamole. If they're hand smashing guacamole table side, that is the kind of restaurant that we want that beer into. See, so that's, uh, that's the part I was wanting to ask you before, you know, there's yeah. always going to be that oppositional force. Absolutely. Right. And I mean, ultimately someone's going to win out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're the one that and, ultimately, just, if you're the arbiter of that. I well, guess, I think it still remains to be seen, but I think the big, um, you know, the big crucial learning out of that was we had something that looked and tasted and, um, you know, smelled and felt a lot like a hard seltzer, but it wasn't. It was a completely different brand positioning. And, you know, while we were also trying to do that, the hard seltzer phenomena just kind of took off. 
So and you're so kind of, of sudden, ahead of trend in some way. Exactly. But you couldn't have anticipated that. We couldn't have anticipated that. And then, you know, we were also, but, uh, you know, as this gigantic wave of all of these hard seltzer products that are all of a sudden coming on the market, all of a sudden we realized that we have a look, a feel, and somewhat of a brand that just doesn't feel very at home with that. And so uh, what we've really done... Let me pick it up again. And have yeah, 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 absolutely. For, for those in the audience, um, you know, we went from, you know, we went from a, you know, kind of squat, normal, like 12-ounce can. Uh, it was, it had this very kind of like uh, Fiesta yellow, like I think like Fiesta where it had like a lot of that color to it. It was a little bit more earth toned, uh, just wasn't as bright and vibrant. And we realized it's just like everything's wrong. So with that, we had to go out and retool our entire can line uh, to do uh, tall, <laughs> slim cans, because that's what every hard seltzer is these days. Yes. Um, we had to brighten up the packaging. Everything has to be uh, very light. Everything has to just kind of pop on shelf when you really look at every hard seltzer that's out there, even though like it competes with that, even though it's a very differentiated and different product, uh, it still needs to do a lot of the core elements of looking and feeling like a hard seltzer, even though we still have that backend message of this is different. Uh, it does need to conform enough that you're not having a hard seltzer drink or pick it up and look at it like, this kind of looks like a beer. I'm not so sure about this. I kind of want a seltzer. Like, you know, and so uh, it, I think at least if you can get into that point where they're picking up, it holds it, it feels comfortable. They know what they're going to get and they put liquid to lips all of a sudden. We feel, it and works. it remains to be seen, that's when the magic happens. Um, so I guess the story that I want to get to is, you. we said it earlier, you didn't anticipate the whole hard seltzer trend yeah and i guess sometimes it's easier when something does exist to say oh they're doing it maybe we got to jump in the bandwagon and do it too right but this is where i'm saying where there's this always oppositional force so like well why do we need to do that because not that nobody's doing it but like is there even a demand for it and it's it, it, this seems to be like okay. this happenstance yeah that you came across something that you were ahead of so i yep. guess the, that it's that point that's like i guess i want to know some drama <laughs> of the convincing that this thing is is a viable thing unless all of a sudden the hard sales are trying came up and you just happen to have a product ready to go? Well, I think it, it was a little bit happenstance, uh, yeah. but I think we also, we saw the hard seltzer thing happening. Like it, it's not as if it completely caught us off guard. And I think we, you know, we had something, especially if you really dig back into our history of like the different brands that we've developed, um, you know, I think both this, what we have here in Mural, um, you know, looks and feels very similar to things that we've done in the past. Uh, but then there also needs to be these additional elements that all of a sudden hard seltzer really did help mainstream. Uh, but really what we didn't like about hard seltzer was, uh, you know, it, this is the craft piece of this and this is my own personal opinion. Um, seltzer, like, it's just kind of soulless. Like, I mean, especially, <laughs> like, like, very seriously, I, I don't think the, I don't think enough drinkers really truly understand what seltzer is, but Literally, what it is, is you have, first of all, there's like three companies or three plants in the United States that, that make the vast majority of this, with the exception of some of the craft seltzers. Um, but for the most part, you take a bunch of cane sugar, uh, some extra wine and yeast nutrient, you ferment it down as hot and as quick as possible uh, to like uh, 8 to 10% alcohol base. <laughs> The thing is quite literally a hot mess. 
Yeah. Uh, then what they do is they run it through a series of filters, literally to strip out all the off flavors that they just created. Mm-hmm. And really, they're just getting alcohol and water out of it. That's that's all you have left. They cut it down to the strength that they need, and then they shoot back in the flavoring uh, that they have. You just took and all so, the magic out of it and the romance out of it. Well, <laughs> it, but like, it, it, and so I think like looking at that, we certainly went down that process, but we had a very strong and contentious debate. Like, is this actually fundamental to our core values and beliefs? And we said, no, it, it all, it was a bit happenstance and serendipitous that we were also yeah. kind of concurrently developing this, that, you know, we tried to, as we understood better what we were trying to do, we started to apply more of the, you know, kind of the monikers of what really, the call-outs of what a seltzer is. Uh, but we decided, it, like, in that, as that oppositional force, we said it's just like, well, how is this authentic to us? How is this something that, you know, somebody who's either been a lifelong New Belgium drinker or picking up the brand for the first time, what is the message that we want them to come away with and we did not uh, we did not have a good enough response to that and so we didn't continue and that's what's guiding ultimately the creativity and yeah. but it's still worth it working within a framework absolutely of things now isn't that a little confining though i mean or in some ways or is it just kind of like a loose membrane that allows oh. people to come in to kind of uh you know it, be creative uh, in some ways. <laughs> you're, you're trying to balance uh you know yeah, stick yeah. with your principles which is fine mm-hmm. versus and st- but not stifling creativity well, I think it's, I, I'm a firm believer, uh, like creativity in a vacuum, generally, I, I think you end up with things that are far more avant-garde. Uh, sometimes those avant-garde things really do become, you know, transformational, completely new to the world things. You, you, I mean, you can think of all sorts of different things that were just so tremendously out there that it just completely sure. reoriented how we do things. Uh, but for the most part, I think uh, I don't see having confinement as a barrier to creativity. I think it's really having some degree of barriers up helps focus you into the into establishing the right things. Whether or not that's actually right or wrong, I think remains sense. to be seen. And you know, sometimes things are going to go well for you, and sometimes they don't. But I think at the very least. Uh, you never want, at least in my world, I don't think it's a useful exercise to entirely blow up what you've built just to chase something entirely new. Um, it's a bit of a push and pull, but like, sure. uh, or if you're going to blow it up, you you better have a good reason for it. No, sure. Um, and you better be sure, because uh, otherwise you're, you're throwing everything into jeopardy. And, you know, it... The, that day may come, but it certainly hasn't come yet. And I think it's, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, we came, we came into the world and we continue to exist as a company with values and, uh, you know, organization with purpose. Um, I think if something comes up enough that, you know, forces us to abandon that purpose, uh, we'll probably go back to the drawing. So I, I think we can, there's enough within that framework that I don't feel confined creativity. Yeah, from a creative standpoint. And I, I don't think anyone else really does in our organization, not to speak for them. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think we have plenty of opportunities to go chase and still live our 
full, true, authentic selves. Perfect. So, Ross, my, na my last question for you, you know, um, going back to uh, trends, yeah. you know, what, what can you just share as far as the next beer trend? Yeah. And we can end on that. Well, I think uh, the two More beers that we have, you know, certainly that is, I think that's the moment that we're living in, uh, you know, more so than anything, uh, you know, especially I think a lot of us uh, can relate to this, that you know, especially being in the hospitality business and the beverage alcohol business, um, it's, a, it's a hard lifestyle. No, uh, and so I think like having that consciousness around health and wellness and, you know, just living full, healthy lives uh, is I think it's a trend that, you know, people are really taking serious globally. Uh, and so, I mean, I think you're, you know, certainly you can have like the easy call outs of, you know, wanting to minimize your calories, um, you know, wanting to, you know, eat things that are more naturally derived or getting rid of, you know, synthetic or artificial chemicals out of your diet, things like that. Uh, those are the easy ones. But I think really where we start to see things, I think we need to evolve the conversation around if it's health and wellness, I think we need to think very holistically. It's like, you know, personally with your own personal health. Uh, but then I think something that's going to be an emergent trend uh, is also how do we leverage that into uh, more community and societal health? Sure. Uh, how does that reflect in our farming practices, our supply chain practices, our food practices? How do we eat? How do we, how do we talk and just live more healthy, full lives. And I think all of us have, um, you know, have a role to play within that, you know, us as beverage manufacturers. Sure. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, certainly we're seeing a lot of non-alcoholic beer come up, which I think is great. Um, you know, non-alcoholic okay. beer is only going to take off if it actually tastes good, which, you know, there, there's some that do some, not so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think evolving some of that technology, but, I think from there, um, you know, certainly the, that's a big opportunity. I think we all we all need to pay attention to that. We all need to be very active participants in that conversation. Um, you know, within that, I think it's also, you know, it's been a trend. It will continue to be a trend. Like people, I think what's so compelling and authentic about craft beer, why it's become this very large phenomena is that you have a lot of passionate and interesting people with unique stories to tell and you know you're really starting to see it far more from the perspective of you know a lot like in food the transformation of like kind of the celebrity chef uh you know certainly there's you know there's a piece around that that gets a little kind of ostentatious uh but you know i think for the most part what's interesting and compelling about that is they have a very unique uh, a unique perspective and a unique story to tell. And they tell that through uh, their chosen creative media, whether that's food or beer or, or art uh, that I think people, you know, people in this day and age, they, they like interesting stories. They like, you know, they like to read and, you know, feel good about the products that, you know, they're putting in their body or they're purchasing. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, just continuing on that vein of like, how do we tell authentic, interesting stories and really connect with our customers? Uh, it's certainly not a new trend, but if we if we don't continue to do that, then I think our business is going to be in real trouble. 
That's great. Well, Ross, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time yeah, to speak thank to you, me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Woo!